I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. It sure in the hell is. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Well, we're a day late and a dollar short because I've been sick. Uh-huh. And I spent yesterday afternoon in the urgent care. Well, yes, you did. I did. Mm-hmm. I'm not in tip-top shape, but... After much beckoning, though, I asked you to call on Friday, but, uh, you know, here we are. Mm-hmm. And um, is that all you want to say about that, or...? I don't know what else there would... I mean, what else is there to say? Something positive, like you're on the mend? Well, we'll see. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I'm not afraid of death. Um... It's just never mind. Just... I was reading about David Geffen's new husband. Do you know who David Geffen is? Yes. So he's that gay billionaire who um, is associated with music, but he's like also a co-founder of DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. Whatever he's done, he has like over seven billion dollars to his name. But um, he's been with, uh, or I guess he's married to, or something. This thirty-year-old go-go boy from Miami. But people were, I was reading the comments of this post and like people being very judgmental. But I thought, what is this man supposed to do? Like, (laughs) I don't think it's that crazy that this 80-year-old billionaire is in a relationship with someone much younger, very attractive. Hey, if Tiger King can do it. I, 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 I don't know. I don't think it's that wild, but. No, well, it's something that every straight rich man does. I don't know. Yeah, I but I I mean I would be sh- I would be shocked to see the opposite but uh it it is what it is I don't know that's or him like like what is he supposed to do find another senior citizen so billionaire he, he found some little geisha for capitalism and got and got her and there we go I just think it's funny like people can't relate to him right because if you were in his position you'd probably do the same I mean I mean, yeah, he's not meeting men on Tinder or, well, maybe Grinder. He may have he may have bought that man. I don't know, but and also it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I just thought it was. I, I brought it up because I was reading all these comments. It's like, people. why are you mad? You want to be with him, but like, or that? Yeah, like, are are you heartbroken that you aren't in a relationship with David Gafford? I don't know. Let people live their little lives. We have limited days on this earth. Okay. Then I read McDonald's is upgrading their burgers. Oh boy! And upgrade it to actual meat or what? Well, this is what's, so what's, buns what? will be softer, cheese gooier, onion will be added to patties right on the grill, and the Big Mac sauce. There will be more of it. We found that small changes like tweaking our process to get hotter, meltier cheese, and adjusting our grill settings for a better sear added up to a big difference in making our burgers more flavorful than ever. And when I read that, I just thought none of that sounds like I'm getting better quality of food. It just seems like you're adjusting the chemicals and the heat to mm-hmm. give me something uh, to fool me into thinking I'm eating what, something better. What are the lyrics to that one Sierra song about her booties as something like soft as a McDonald's McDonald's hamburger? Bun. <laughs> I, I should look that up. It's the small adjustments, like Sierra says. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to need more from McDonald's. Like, they need to tell me that they're using, like, USDA grade A fresh meat that's never frozen and, like, the vegetables are fresh. And But that new, that news alert got to you, didn't it? Well, because, you know, I have a history with McDonald's. A history. It was my very first job. Okay. I will say McDonald's are cleaner than 
you know, your favorite fine dining restaurant, that kitchen isn't as clean as a McDonald's kitchen. Okay. Because, well, this is back when I worked there in the 90s. So breakfast and lunch were, you know, like they would stop breakfast at 1030. There was a distinct difference. Yes. But every day when we did that switch, we basically had to douse the entire kitchen in bleach. Mm -hmm. Thoroughly clean everything. All of the ingredients are fresh, quote unquote, in the sense that none of that stuff is sitting in that restaurant for more than a few days Mm -hmm. because there's very high turnover. Oh, yes. And it's clean. Like all the implements are being cleaned on a regular basis, like multiple times throughout the day. But you think your favorite, insert any type of restaurant, because I don't want people thinking I'm being racist about anything, but Uh you you think like your favorite mom and pop whatever (laughs) that charges triple and you think that they're throwing shit away the night, you know, like when the night ends or that they're bleach dousing the kitchen and bleach every night. No, I mean, probably not, but I, <laughs> so I will give McDonald's that, but the food is not very nutritious. So I'm That's not going true. It's so, not good for you. Right. So I'm not going to claim that, you know, it's not real food, but it's, it's certainly not nutritious. And yeah, McDonald's menu is because they got rid of their salad options. And so really there's no option to make good choices at McDonald's. But my other problem with fast food is it's not cheap anymore. Yeah, not anymore, no. So you really could so either you really go should go to Ralph's and get some veggies. And I know people, you know, there are food deserts where people don't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables and produce or um, you know, meat and produce. But with those prices, like a McDonald's combo meal is like eleven, twelve dollars. Yeah, that's not, crazy. Not worth it. No, I mean it's cheaper to just go get like a bowl from Chipotle. I know, but you know that sixty-piece chicken McNuggets or whatever is oh. is tantalizing. You do like the McNuggets. That's the only thing I ever get there, uh, which is not often. But uh, I don't know. It must be uh, nostalgia for my the my taste buds, I guess. We got a couple of comments. Nasty ones? Uh, Not nasty, but, you know, anytime we review a faith-based movie, we get the same comments, like we're anti-Christian. Well, I mean... And I just wanted to say, we don't dislike faith-based movies. It's not my fault that the movies I watch just... We don't like them because they're not well done. Like, (laughs) and then I think I actually, I never respond to these kind of comments, but... I did respond to one and I, cause someone's like, you don't ever like faith-based movies. And I said, I think we both like the exorcist. That's true. <laughs> Friedkin is a master though. So it's not that it's because of religion. It's just on, on a wing and a prayer is a poorly done movie. Oh yes. And well, I don't even think it's that heavy handed with the religious. It stuff. is. It, in fact, it isn't, but it, you can, the it's, it's certainly not well-written and the people performing it don't seem to have the convictions of the, uh, flaccid, uh, dialogue either but you know it it is what it is it's not good i wanted to read a comment someone left i don't beat my cat but i'm about to backhand this yeah one. she is out of control she's been ignored we're gonna have to pause well here you go handle her i'm gonna read this comment i want to give you my take on the term black excellence it's lame when black people do it and it's patronizing when non-blacks do it All black excellence says is that excellence is not the norm when it comes to blacks. 
The term also gives the impression that black achievement doesn't compare to non-black achievements. Michael Jordan is a human being whose game and iconic presence were just excellent, period. Um, I don't know who this person is. I don't know if they're black or non-black, as they would say. Uh, so I, I, I don't know where to start except that I I can respect this person's perspective. I don't agree. I think that anytime a group chooses to highlight their own accomplishments. I don't think it's because they're saying that they don't compare to the norm. I think people are doing that because that group doesn't normally get the recognition they deserve, which is why we have Black History Month, mm -hmm. Latin Heritage. You know, like any disenfranchised group wants to feel highlighted so that they do seem like they are the norm. This person's saying the opposite, which I guess, you know, if this person is part of a disenfranchised group and feels like their achievements are you know, minimized because of that, then I guess I have to respect that. But sure, as a black person, I don't agree. Like black girls rocks. I mean, I, I think that that platform was trying to highlight or give a spotlight to a group that doesn't normally get it. So then by this logic, I feel like, I don't know. I, I like, I just don't agree with that, I guess. <laughs> Well, because you pick apart anything, you know, that's like the the same, th that's not so far off from saying, you know, all lives matter when, whenever you, somebody says black lives in response to black lives matter. And, you know, I'm, I'm as a white person that uh, does like to champion non-white things, like I'm well aware of the feedback that I get that a lot of people don't like certain things or certain language. And it's like, you know, some of that, of course, has to be taken into consideration uh, when we're talking about appropriation or uh, maybe just as simple as overstepping bounds or, uh, but I don't know. I, I don't agree with that comment either. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, but then, I, you know, I don't know. Michael Jordan himself might agree with this statement. You know, there are, I mean, look at OJ. OJ did not want to be black. OJ. I, I don't know that Michael Jordan no, has I'm expressed not, the same. No, no, no. But, you know, I feel like there are a lot of people, black, gay, Latino, any disenfranchised group would align themselves with this idea that I'm just excellent. I'm not gay excellent. I'm not black excellent. I'm not autistic excellent. I'm just excellent. But, but sure. But, uh, you know, if we're talking about this review of air that I'm sure that comment was on, uh, I didn't go up to Michael Jordan and say that he's uh, black excellence. The movie itself is made by white people told from a white perspective about uh, inherently uh, a, a black athlete that everybody was riding the coattails of his talent. So th that's a little that the context matters and intention matters, but yeah. But again, if this person's black and they don't like the term black excellence, then I can respect that. Um, I, of course, I can respect that too. But the other thing is, it's part of the cultural lexicon right now. And until that falls out, you know, it's kind of like how I don't necessarily like the term woke, but, and I, I feel like that's starting to kind of flow out of uh, popular lingo, I guess. But do you know what I mean? Like, it, it'll drop off. It'll become something else. But I feel like a person who would align themselves with this comment would also think that affirmative action wasn't necessary. And I wouldn't agree with that. <laughs> I, I would say that there are some times when we need to level the playing field mm -hmm. because people have been held back. And the only way to make it fair is to offer or to implement 
these sorts of guidelines and it's not because, oh, you're lesser than, so we're giving you a boost. It's like, no, people are overlooked. It's We don't know what people can do the if they're given the opportunity. They're just not given the opportunity. The intention is to say, I see you. Like, I see you for who, what you are, what you're achieving. That's... Well, I'm not saying... I'm. I'm saying that the group itself can say, like, we... Because these terms are... These different, like when we think about Pride Month or any group, it's the group themselves who are pushing for this and supporting this. So I'm not saying like non-Black people should be coming up with terms like Black excellence. This is a term that Black people have adopted. And if, yeah, but again, if if a Black person doesn't like that term, then I respect that. Of course. But- Again. Anyway, again, we, you have to. What you have to get down to is you might not like the term, and I'm just saying broadly, anybody, not to this person that even wrote that comment. But you have to think about what what's the intention behind it. I don't. I don't know. Well, but sometimes in, intentions end up being bad, right? Like, I mean, it's not just that. Of course, but you. I have didn't to, mean anything by it. By uh, no, of it. course, you have to think of context. You have to think of intention, and I. Uh, I don't like it all goes down to who you want to clap back at and why. Okay. Uh, films released. We didn't cover Suzume. Suzume. Okay. It's a Japanese animated film directed by Makoto Shinkai, uh, whose previous film, your name, I believe was quite popular. Uh, this made, a uh, uh, just a mind boggling amount of money, I guess, <laughs> uh, in its native country, but it premiered, it competed, uh, in Berlin where I saw it in February and it opened this week and uh, I did not even bring it up to you, I believe. Sweetwater? Because I didn't really love it. But uh, Sweetwater, directed by Martin Guigui. Uh, it's about Nat Sweetwater Clifton, uh, who I believe was the first black athlete to sign a contract with the NBA. Blind Willow Sleeping Woman? Uh, I... It's another animated film I'm not familiar with. The director, Pierre Folds, but uh, Haruki Mirakami was listed as one of the writers, which, of course, would be interesting to me. But yeah. Hilma. Uh, this is a biopic about Hilma Afklint, uh, the, uh, of course, incredibly notable artist who uh, I, she died in during world. But she died. She was kind of discovered posthumously. His, uh, but Lasse Hallstrom uh, who Lasse Hallstrom has not directed a movie I've liked in a long time, but I do like his life, his life, his wife, Lena Olin, who's starring as Hilma. Um, but yeah, that came out once upon a time in Ukraine. I have a screener for this. I'm supposed to review. It sounds like it's trying very much as the title would indicate to be a genre film like Leone, uh, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West, Once Upon a Time in America, or Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, directed by Roman Perfilyev. It's an, actually a 2020 title that is just making its way to our shores. Personality Crisis, One Night Only? Uh, I actually watched this on Thursday. Uh, it's co-directed by Martin Scorsese and David Tedeschi. I think it premiered at the New York Film Festival in 2022. But it's about David Johansson uh, and his... A, a set he did in January of 2020 in New York uh, 
Debbie Harry was in the crowd, a couple other very notable people. Uh, and it's, it's a documentary and it's footage of that night performance before the world changed and interspersed with clips of David when he was with the New York dolls from the early 1970s and uh, Morrissey is interviewed in there. But I know David Johansson under another name. He used to perform under uh, Buster Poindexter. Do you remember Buster? No. Oh, well, he performed with Sigourney Weaver on 1986 SNL. They uh, sang, uh, What's the song everybody has canceled now? It's cold out. Maybe it's cold outside. Uh, he also, and he met, he referenced this in the documentary. It says the bane of his existence is that song, Hot, Hot, Hot. I know I played the music video for you for that. Oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, because it's used in the Six Leg commercial. Rare Objects. Uh, Katie Holmes' third film. I loathed her last one, uh, so I did not make time in my schedule to watch Rare Objects. Sakra. Sakra, uh, co-directed by Cam Kawai and Donnie Yen, who you just saw as the blind assassin in John Wick Chapter 4. Uh, they directed this film, and that's all I know about it. Lastly, Wildlife. It's a documentary directed by Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vassar, Vassar Helgi. Uh, it's a sweeping portrait of conservationists Chris and Doug Tompkins chronicling their fight to preserve one of the last truly wild places on Earth. Movies we watch for fun. The Oak. The Oak. Uh, it's, uh, it predates the Romanian New Wave, 1994, directed by Lucian Pintillier, Pintillier uh, and starring Maya Morgenstern. Uh, it's about Romania right before the fall of Ceausescu uh, and, and following this this woman who... It starts out kind of like a, a terrible kind of Kafkaesque nightmare uh, and then kind of ends a little bit more hopefully, but she gets horribly raped along the way. Uh, it was a very interesting film. I watched it because it has been restored and I believe is opening later this month in New York at film forum. Magnum force. Um, Clint Eastwood, his dirty Harry persona revisited, which is interesting. The, the vigilantism of this era, because th this is, follow-up to Dirty Harry. This one's directed by Ted Post, who we just rewatched The Baby, directed oh. by Mr. Ted Post. That came out the same year as this, which is crazy. But Clint East, Dirty Harry is, uh, the plot is he's got to find this group. It ends up being a group of uh, sharpshooters, these these new police recruits that have taken upon themselves to clean the city of their of criminals. Oh, is this the one with the car chase? Yeah. yeah. It had a pretty good car chase, yeah. Yeah, um, it, it was interesting to watch. Oh, and uh, Hal Holbrook as his the, the lieutenant that doesn't really like him. Warm water under a red bridge. This has also been restored. I think uh, Film Movement will be releasing it, or or they might have already. It's the last film from the great Japanese director Shohei Imamura, who won uh, the Palme d'Or at Cannes twice for his remake of The Ballad of Narayama and The Eel. Uh, I still have never seen The Eel. I should bust my copy out of that and finally watch it. But he'd been around since the late 50s, early 60s. Great films like The Pornographers. Um, a Man Vanishes is a really interesting documentary. Uh, Warm Water Under Red Bridge is very bizarre. It competed at Cannes. It's about this failed businessman who uh, ends up in this kind of remote seaside town, which has a kind of a close knit community. And he meets this woman who's basically kind of like a siren uh, who 
uh, he's very attracted to. And when they have sex, she, every, and all the villagers know it, she gushes water, like gallons and gallons of water. <laughs> When they, when oh, she's a squirter like Chris Jenner. She is a squirter, uh, <laughs> and the levels in the river rise under this red bridge. And it, you know, it would make a really interesting double feature with Woman in the Dunes, Burroughs the movie. So, in anticipation of the secret film I selected this week, I watched Howard Bruckner's 1983 documentary about William S. Burroughs, which is called Burroughs the Movie. Uh, which I don't forever not seen. Uh, I'm familiar with Bruckner also because his nephew directed a documentary about him, the name I'm forgetting, because Howard Bruckner died of AIDS. Uh, and he'd finished one other film after this called Bloodhound of Broadway, which I've never seen, which I've always wanted to watch. It's based on short stories by Damon Runyon and has a fantastic cast that includes Madonna. Oh. And, and he was only 34. Um you know, he died before the film was released, so somebody else edited it and kind of butchered it. So I don't think it's a well-regarded film, but I, I still would love to see that. Anyhow, he had uh, all this access to William S. Burroughs in 1981-82, and it's a really fascinating portrait of this very private man with, who had a lot of issues. Have you heard of a movie called Summoning Sylvia? Yes. I asked you if you wanted to review it, and you just sent me some kind of emoji. Oh. The King of Comedy. Uh, wh why did you bring that up all of a sudden? Someone asked if we were going to review. With Michael Yuri, right? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I'm pretty sure that's it, yeah. Um, you didn't respond well, so we didn't. Uh, the King of Comedy, which I've also been wanting to watch forever, Martin Scorsese's 1982 film, of which Todd Phillips' The Joker owes a lot, of course, starring Robert De Niro uh, and Jerry Lewis and Sandra Bernhardt in her debut uh, it, it's funny watch when we watch we watch this either I think I watched this the same day of sick of myself and there were a lot of similarities uh, with these people that are just desperate to be famous and known. Uh, it's a it's a dark movie, but I feel like King of Comedy could have been darker or uh, or more funny. But Sandra Bernhardt is very entertaining. The Yards. The Yards is a rewatch uh, I pulled out the other night. I only I haven't seen it since probably 2001. It's James Gray's sophomore film, uh, Love James Gray. This I remember this had a fantastic cast. Uh, but as a kid, I was obsessed with it because he had Ellen Burstyn and Faye Dunaway playing sisters. Uh, I I think it's a very it, it's dry in a way, but I also really liked it because. I just started reading Killers of the Flower Moon, and there's a, I noticed some similarities with kind of this thing about contracts and leasing and the, the these horrible things that go on behind the scenes of what would also what on paper would sound really boring. You watched it with me. Yeah, it was sufficient. I thought Mark Wahlberg was so boring. He's like he has the same affect the entire film. He looks like a moody eleven year old boy. He does which doesn't look, help because of his haircut. He does look like a little kid. Um, I had the same problem a little bit with We Own the Night, the next film with James Gray, which has Phoenix and um, Mark Wahlberg. But I think Joaquin's really good. Kind of. I think Joaquin would have made a better lead. Like he could have, he should have been the Mark Wahlberg character. And it's like they tried to make Charlize their own look goth a little. Or I think they're trying to make her look Jersey. like early two thousands East Coast, but it just doesn't. I don't know. She was fine. She's I guess. fine. Uh, I hate how she looks, but she's fine. She got. She looked like 
she could be Joaquin's sister, though, in that. Well, there's a little bit of incest going on because Mark Wahlberg and Charlize's characters are cousins and, and they're also in love. Yeah. And they they were caught by Charlize's mom, played by Faye Dunaway, mm -hmm. having sex. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the story is a little all over the place because that feels like that could have been its own movie. Like these two cousins who are caught, like they're kissing cousins who can't. But that is such a poorly developed plot point in this movie. And then Mark Wahlberg's character is so flat that it's like, I didn't care if he goes back to jail. I didn't care. If he... Yeah, that's the thing. Again, like with We Own the Night, I, it's, he's kind of boring. Um, but that famously, that's one of the films that uh, Harvey Weinstein butchered up to. Wow. Savage Sisters? You know, I think that in my mind, this was supposed to be... I've, and I've seen Switchblade Sisters, which Tarantino Well, you loves. said to me that this one is like... I think that I'm... How did you describe it to me? I don't remember. You made it seem like, oh, it's crazy. People say it's crazy. It, I thought, I, I th again, I think I was thinking Switchblade Sisters, which I also own and I've seen. But Savage Sisters, I'd never seen. Um, and I think Kino Lorber released it a couple months ago, which is why I have it now. But Well, the problem is, based on the poster art, you would think it's one of those like 70s, like exploitative, like jugs and guns. And, yeah, yeah. But it's not. The main... The, the three main female actors, while they're beautiful, they do a pretty good job acting. And they're taking, yeah, they, they're taking themselves seriously. <laughs> yeah, so it's not really fun because the movie itself is, I mean, and the production value is not the worst. So it's like kind of a decent movie. But boring. But boring. But So it was directed by Eddie Romero. And I read somebody else's comment that it's only more a, a, a hair's breadth more competently made than his previous film, Black Mama, White Mama. Oh. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> And that's true, but you know he's Filipino, shot in the Philippines. He makes really, it looks, I think, really good for that reason. Yeah. Uh, but Gloria Henry is the star. Well, arguably the star. She was kind of um, uh, competition for Ms. Pam Greer because she was in Black Caesar and Hell Over Harlem, both Fred Williamson films. Uh, she is introduced to us as this kind of dominatrix torturer, and it's giving me like Diane Thorne and Ilsa. She Wolf, uh, uh, what, what God? What what's that name of that movie again? Ilsa, the She Wolf of the SS. <laughs> oh sure. <laughs> um, and there's a sequel to that too, and and but then not for too long because that switches up. But she looks great. Really doesn't have anything fun to do though. Oh, and uh, Sid Haig is in it, and he's supposed to be Mexican, I think. He's fun to watch. He's fun to watch. But him. I was confused because he. He's he didn't really seem like he was any sort of nationality. He seemed more like a monster to me. <laughs> he does. He often kind of seemed like a monster. Uh, but you know, we just saw him in because we rewatched Foxy Brown. But uh, his accent work is pretty bad. <laughs> well, while I was convalescing, still am. But we put on "No One Heard the Scream." Yes, which you had handed me like a stack of movies, mm -hmm. and this is the one I chose. I. I think I chose it because the description was like um, like a controversial film with an ending you won't believe. Mm -hmm. uh, or it's like Spanish giallo. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, yes, let's try. Uh, what did you think about I it? I was highly entertained. More than the packaging that made me lead me to believe I would be. I actually think the worst part of the movie is the ending. But building up to it, I was very engaged. Uh, I think the lead female actor is stunning and 
compelling. Carmen Sevilla. And the lead male actor was sufficiently creepy. Yes, and he's in another... This was directed by Eloy de la Iglesia. And I, who put this out? Severin Films. I have a bunch of his movies that I've never seen. Well, based on this one, I would watch another one. Because I thought it was... It's Because it's about a, a, a high-class prostitute who lives in this luxury building. Um, That's under construction. It's under construction. So the only people who are there... Um, are like it's just offices and empty apartments but it's like the weekend and it's just her her neighbor and like the hearing impaired concierge yeah and she witnesses her neighbor kill which who she thinks is his wife Mm -hmm. and then he's like you need to help me take care of this body and they go on this like pretty interesting journey to like dispose of the body Mm -hmm. but the well should i ruin the gag go ahead the gag is that was not his wife who he killed his wife caught him in bed with another woman Mm -hmm. and she killed that lady so the wife made the husband dispose of the body and then now that the husband and his neighbor who at first he had kidnapped to help they they developed like a romance over the course of several days so now they're in love or so she thinks so they're in bed together and then she wakes up in the morning and her neighbor lover killer man is dead in the bed. Bludgeoned. And guess who killed his ass? His wife. <laughs> and then the end is she wants old girl prostitute to dispose of his body. <laughs> and she's like, well, you should be good at this by now. Yeah. I was, I was highly. <laughs> I was very entertained. I would highly recommend it. Um, we need to take a quick break. though. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So after we finished, no one heard the scream. Was it me who put on your highness? No, we watched that before. Oh, you that was did, the starter movie. You put it on because I said I'd never seen it. Well, and then it said it was the unrated 4K version. Mm-hmm. Like th- things we could never show in the theater. So we put this shit on. What is, year is it? 2011. Directed by? David Gordon Green. Who I know from? Well, Pineapple Express and the Halloween films. And it stars James Franco, Martin, I want to say Danny, Martina McBride. Martin, Danny McBride. <laughs> His his mom, um, Danny McBride, Natalie Portman's in the shit. Uh, J- Justin Theroux is in it. Zoe Deschanel. Zoe. <laughs> that makes me think of the SNL skit or with RuPaul. RuPaul. <laughs> Hobo chic or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this movie did not feel uncut, unrated. Like this, uh, you know, David Gordon Green. I don't know what happened, but. Because he, the early part of his career was a fantastic indie film director with films like George Washington, All the Real Girls, which I believe Zoe is in. And then he got tied up in the, this James Franco, Danny McBride crew because Pineapple Express came first. Then they did this and then The Sitter. <sighs> Listen, for it to be like this gang of people, and I can't really think, like I don't remember. The only thing I remember from Pineapple Express is the one black lady cop saying, I think I know that bitch. She's like, I think I know who that bitch is. Yeah, that's the only part I remember from that. And then Rosie Perez. I don't remember her in it. Okay. Isn't there a movie where Rihanna's in it and 
it's like the end of the world. Or this is the end, I think. I don't is remember. That the one where Channing Tatum is in the, like they have, he's like a sex slave. That sounds about right. Um, Again, one of those films where it's like, these people just smoke a bunch of weed and think they're funny. Your Highness is the epitome of a bunch of dudes sitting around high thinking something's funny because they're, this movie, the only good thing about it is it does have production value. Like a lot of effort went into making it. So all the crew tech, all, all that editing and special effects, they did a good job. But very little about this movie made me laugh. No. And I mean... Probably the best part of the movie. I mean, Justin Theroux had some pretty funny lines. Justin Theroux, like if we're talking about the human cast members, yeah. But the best scene is with that wise wizard creature that, like a Yoda-looking thing who's a pedophile and a creep. <laughs> turns out was molesting was molesting James Franco. I think James Franco's cute in the movie. Yeah. I think he definitely is better than Danny McBride. Danny McBride. I don't know why we thought that he should be the lead in this. but And his character is so confusing because he's supposed to be this pitiful guy, but then he has more mojo than his brother, James mm. Franco. That didn't make any sense. Nope. And then like Natalie Portman, who is, it's like, you just, you didn't want to let her be funny at all, I guess. Cause that, uh, well, I think the joke is supposed to be that she's like this real actor in this stupid movie. But the problem is she's like, acting in the stupid movie yes with the it's accent. not funny it's not funny even the accent she's doing is not funny uh it's not garbage i think i gave it two out of five on letterboxd it, it's not the worst movie it's just like the other part is what was on ed like what's the uncut part of this movie the only part i could maybe see not being part of the r rating version is the Minotaur? Is there's a Minotaur who is like raping one of the guys? Not even though he's not like, even. It, it, it's it's not that gruesome. And then we see this Minotaur's erect penis, which is big, and then Natalie Portman lulls it into being flaccid, and then Danny McBride cuts his penis off to make a necklace. So we see the penis necklace. But other than that, I don't know what about this screenplay so edgy or funny I, uh, nothing no, nothing is edgy it really funny. felt like 13 year old boys would think it's funny yes like the, this is this is when you get a, a bunch of straight men together and think this is daring like try me okay i rewatched nope um and we reviewed nope yeah and i'm pretty sure my feelings about it on a rewatch are the same as the review so you can watch the nope review <laughs> it's a good movie i guess i just yeah yeah that uh, which is what i thought about it too but again i i i'm willing to bet if we saw his director's cut it would there were there are certain things in that film that would pop so much better i bet i think it works better as a creature feature but and then i i maintain that i hate the way the alien looks but yeah there's no way around that lastly you you watched scent of the green papaya yes because now well so we won't talk about can in this episode because the we're still waiting for directors Fortnite to unveil their selections, which I think is tomorrow morning um, to talk about what I'm most excited for, but I'm, I'm now in can prep mode. So certain filmmakers who there I have blind spots for, I'll try to fill up on, but uh, the v the French Vietnamese filmmaker Tran An Hung won the uh, camera door for his first feature, which played a can, which was sent to the green papaya, uh, which is about a young Vietnamese girl, uh, it's told through her eyes and two separate families in Saigon. Uh, and it's, it's beautifully shot. Uh, the, the, it's kind of a wispy little bit of a narrative, but it, it's a very sumptuous, lush looking film. 
Uh, and I'm sad to say the only other film I'd seen by him is Norwegian Wood, because uh, those are the two that are easiest to get a hold of. Uh, I'm now I'm kicking myself. I think in 2016 his film Eternité, which had Bernice Bijot and Melanie Laurent and Audrey Tautou, uh, closed the Cannes Film Fest, and it's never really good. The, a good sign when something's closing and not in the competition and that never traveled anywhere after that so i never got to see it uh so i'm excited to see his new movie which is a period piece which has juliette binoche and benoit majumel in it who used to be a couple and had a kid together anyway so that i i watched that the other day and liked it well enough well there are no entries in the obituary section so we can move on to the secret film oh what about projects of interest oh did i skip that you did Mm. Oh, I don't have any. Did you send me some? Mm -hmm. It's at the <laughs> bottom of the email. Can, do you know what the first one was? Yes. The Piano Lesson. Uh, Malcolm Washington, one of the sons of, Den of Danzel, uh, he is directing uh, The Piano Lesson, which is an adaptation of the August Wilson play uh, starring his brother, John David Washington, and Sammy Jackson. Uh, Daniel Deadweiler and Corey Hawkins are also in the cast. So that is exciting. And then Billy Porter is going to be James Baldwin. In my notes, I wrote it, it, I meant that to be a reference to Faye Dunaway is Joan Crawford. Uh, Billy Porter is, will he be, James Baldwin, which... Is that for sure? It is for sure because I believe he's co-writing it. Oh, I feel like we could find someone better to be James Baldwin. I like Billy Porter well enough. I, I, you know what, it, you know what, we need to give him the chance to 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 act. I guess <laughs> to mm. to be to step outside of himself. I'm hoping, and I feel and, like he's had a lot of time to do that. Yeah, but he's <laughs> but he's always often utilized in a certain way. That's true. So That's true. this, and if I have to believe that if he has a hand in create kind of co-creating this that he has that in the back of his mind i hope that this is james baldwin let's not uh, let's not do him dirty i don't know well, we'll see okay the secret film this week was your selection it certainly was you chose the 1991 surrealist science fiction drama film written and directed by david cronenberg called naked lunch mm -hmm. so you'll talk a lot about this but um i I know David Cronenberg is known for body horror, and I know I've seen the movie where people are having sex with the cars. Crash. Have I seen another Cronenberg movie? You've seen The Fly. Oh, The Fly, You've yes. You've seen The Brood. Yes. I'm sure that, uh, didn't you see, that probably, because I, I haven't rewatched- The really Hitman's watched... Bodyguard's Wife or whatever. No, History of Violence and Eastern Promises were pretty big. Oh, yes, I've seen those. Mm -hmm. uh, those are Cronenberg? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I saw those at the Lagoon. That was before you knew me. Yeah. Actually, I've been wanting to rewatch both of those. Um, yeah. Who would have taken me to see those kind of movies? I know I didn't take myself, but I know I saw them at that theater. Um, and then oh, Videodrome. Videodrome. And then William S. Burroughs. You know, the only reason I know who this is is because you told me that when I first met you, that your college friends, who are still your friends, but you yeah. met them in college that they were into like the beat writers and so there's him there's um kerouac kerouac yeah ginsburg ginsburg yeah. so i know those names 
I know that. Yeah, my friend Sean was, well, my friend Sean was actually really into Hunter S. Thompson and Bob Dylan, but yeah, by extension, Kerouac. And so I knew those names. I knew that there was a queer component to that fantasy that, but I couldn't have said which one was like gay. Well, you know, Ginsburg and Kerouac were probably the most famous and Ginsburg was un- un- unabashedly gay. Yeah. Oh, he was. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's about as much as I know about William S. Burroughs and David Cronenberg. So this movie, Naked Lunch, is sort of an amalgamation of a book William S. Burroughs wrote. Uh, his, a very infamous book because it was part of a censorship lawsuit. And Cronenberg took that book and sort of infused it with like the history, like the person William S. Burroughs. Yes. So, um, so first I want to say, I think that it's a really brilliant approach to a historical figure to take a piece of their work and combine it with aspects of the life that we know to be true mm-hmm. in comparison to things like Blonde, which I don't think is a horrible movie. I just don't like this idea of like sort of retelling a real person's life and then, or something like Paint, which isn't even on the same level, right? where it's like this Bob Ross inspired character in this shitty ass comedy. But so I really think that this is such a smart way to approach a historical figure. But first, you read Naked Lunch, the book. And how would you describe that book? Oh, it is. It is by far probably the most incomprehensible thing I've read. It is, it, it, it would be like if you took James Joyce's Ulysses, which is also a difficult read, and then injected that full of uh, fentanyl-laced cocaine. So the film feels incomprehensible at moments, but there is a basic story. And the basic story is it's the 1950s and there is a character named William Lee, who we can presume is supposed to be William S. Burroughs Mm -hmm. inspired. And he's working as an exterminator. Which Burroughs actually did. And he wrote a book called Exterminator. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and we watched the Criterion release release Mm -hmm. which included a sort of featurette about the making of which i actually found very interesting but william lee is an exterminator and one day he's on the job and he runs out of um insecticide Mm -hmm. so his boss chews him out and insecticide is like gold like you know you can't run out you can't run out you have to do your job but also like they ration it out (laughs) so the fact that he's coming up short is a problem and he gets home, and you know why he's running short? Because his wife is getting high off the shit. Oh, she's, she's injecting, injecting it in her titty meat. She sure is. So then we find out that, and you know what? That's one of my favorite. I love Judy Davis, and I I know I've say this say this line all the time. It's a Kafka high. <laughs> yeah, he's asking her like, "The fuck is you doing <laughs> injecting this shit?" She goes, "Oh, it's very literary." But even before, um. She says that he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I didn't expect you weren't supposed to see, that. Supposed to see this. And he's like, well, now that I have like, what are you doing? And then she called it a Kafka high. I didn't understand the reference. What is the reference? Because Kafka's most famous book is Metamorphosis about a man turning into a bug. So and- after you explain that to me, it's, it's very funny. Um, but he, so then they, I also didn't know the William Tell reference, but basically it's like, he puts a glass on top of her head and wants to shoot it off. So William puts a glass on top of Joan's head and he's going to shoot it off. But instead he shoots, instead he shoots her in the forehead and kills her. Mm -hmm. So the police bring him in 
And he's telling them, well, I'm an exterminator. And they're like, yeah, well, if that's insecticide, kill this bug. And then this is when the film goes left Mm -hmm. and it turns into like this, (laughs) I don't know, crack addict's dream. But the police bring out a big ass shoebox and they open that lid. And I thought this was a very well done scene. You see this big ass bug crawl out of the box. And if that's not crazy enough, The cops tell him, kill the bug with this insecticide. And that bug sits on on top because the insecticide is powder. And this is where shit goes real left. The bug starts talking. And it's not bad enough the bug is talking. The bug is talking out of its back from what looks like a giant butthole. Oh, it looks like a, a, a red anus. Yeah. And that shit took me out. <laughs> I mean, the best scenes of the film are when these bugs are talking because there are multiple bugs that are talking. But anyway, and it's like, oh, please rub some of that on my lips. But I got to get through this basic story. So William is in this police interrogation room and he is talking to this bug now. And the bug has convinced him that he's a special agent. Mm -hmm. And also says, like, part of being a special agent means you might have to be gay. Right. Okay. (laughs) so. What I took from this story is that this is about William S. Burroughs and sort of his struggles with drug addiction, but also um, his sexuality. So this bug convinces William that he's a special agent. We don't know what his mission is, but we know that he has to report on it, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really funny. (laughs) And this mission takes him to interzone which is somewhere in africa although i don't know where he is before he goes to interzone they're in new york in 1953 it's notable that he the wife that he did really kill would have happened in mexico he was only in jail for 13 oh i didn't mention that william s burroughs for people who don't know which i didn't uh he actually did accidentally shoot and kill his wife and he had a kid with her too but he only spent 13 (laughs) years 13 years 13 days in jail uh but he Tan or interzone is supposed to be Tangiers, where it, which is where he wrote a lot of the documents that became Naked Lunch. But so the bulk of the movie is William in interzone Africa, trying to report on something, and a lot of the information that he's getting is coming from his typewriter, which is like turning into the bug. Mm-hmm. And he meets another couple there, this guy and his wife, and the wife's name is Joan which is the name of the wife he killed. And this character is played by the same actor. Judy Davis. Yeah. And she's married to Ian Holm. So she looks like his dead wife, which is funny because they're supposed to be American and neither of those two are. So we get like him trying to figure out things, but it's very like, I mean, it's nonsensical what he's trying to find out and what he's reporting on. But we also get that the sexuality part of the movie is that William never really says he's gay. He's asked if he's queer or they use the F slur, mm-hmm. um, which I'll get to, but he never really acknowledges that. But we do acknowledge that in interzone, there are these very attractive young men who men use for sex. Mm-hmm. And William is told like, you know, are you going to do it? In addition to that, there's a character named, I believe Cloquet. And he's played by Julian Sands. Eve Cloquet, yeah. Who is clearly gay. And and uh, Mr. Sands, of course, was has never discovered after that. Yeah, he hike. may be, I mean, he may be dead as yeah. far as we know. But anyway, um, yeah, the mission um, sort of leads him to a relationship with the other Joan. Mm-hmm. And then he's told that 
he may have an opportunity to work in a different city, I think called Annexia. Mm -hmm. And he decides to take the new Joan with him. And when he gets to the border, like to get into this new town, the police are like, well, what's your business here? And William says, I'm a writer. And they're like, prove it. <laughs> and he doesn't have his typewriter anymore because it broke. So he shows them a pen and they're like, nah, that's not good enough. So then all of a sudden, he's going to play this William Tell game with the new Joan mm -hmm. in the back of this van they're transport driving in. And he goes to shoot the glass off of her head and he shoots her in the forehead and kills her, just mm -hmm. like his wife. And the police are like, great, welcome to Anexia. Yeah. The end. Um, Which is a very poetic way doing several things. I think he's haunted by this thing that happened to him. Yes. And also as a writer, the inevitability that you will always have to kill your darlings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Roy Schneider's in the film. Scheider. Scheider. Well, <laughs> no, and in that name, I really did write down <laughs> Schneider. Roy Scheider's in the film who I know from Jaws. Oh yes. And Oh God, French connection. Many, many, many. You saw him play uh bossy. In all that jazz. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. He's playing a doctor, Dr. Belmont. Dr. Benway. Benway, sorry. I don't know where I'm getting Belmont from. But um, <laughs> when we meet him first, he's mixing a concoction for William mm -hmm. that's supposed to help him. I don't know if it's like methadone for heroin addicts, yeah, something like, like that. For addiction issues. Like an antidote or something. Because of the bug, the bug juice. But the when he's mixing it, I was like, this is not, this is not science, sir. This is not precise. <laughs> it's like me filling up the laundry, the, the washer. Oh, so, oh God. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. I'll get angry. But, um, but it did make me think about, I saw on TikTok a recipe on how to make McDonald's pancakes. Oh, and all they do is take Bisquick and mix it with Sprite. And that's it. Sprite? Yeah. And then you have to make sure there's a lot of butter in the pan. But I want to try that because you know I like McDonald's. What, what are those soda cakes that Halle Berry's making in Kings? Seven. But up you cake, can buy seven them. up cake. You can buy them. Like if you go to a Kroger mm -hmm. um, or a Publix, they have those like seven up cake, or they'll have like the Shasta cake mm -hmm. with like the orange flavored. Mm -hmm. I think that's ghetto. But anyway, well, no, well, you know, my grandmother, who is very who was one hundred percent Finnish, she would make shit like that too. Okay. I mean, if I did, I wouldn't tell people it's soda cake. I would be like, no, eat, but eat my my special recipe, super moist pound cake. But I'm not was, gonna tell everyone there's seven. There was a generation of people where that was th those were things that were incorporated. In I know, but like, I think my family marinates the carne asada in beer, Pepsi, or, or yeah. And I'm <laughs> like, don't tell people. Just let it be your secret sauce. Like, <laughs> my cooking skills are elevated. Or you know, that's when people would crush chips on top of casseroles for. Well, you can't even hide that. Texture. You can't even pretend that's something else. But anyway, okay, so I had two characters I really liked. Mm -hmm. The first one was Kiki. Played by Joseph Scorin, who is now dead. Well, I only know that because I'm like, God, he's so handsome. Like, why didn't he do more movies? And I look up his IMDb and he worked a lot. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it stopped. Mm -hmm. And it's because he died. But he died from complications from, um, I'm going to say it wrong. And I said it wrong in one podcast episode. Um the 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 secret film was big 50 the del ronda Hood oh, yeah, yeah. story mm -hmm. um he suffered from sar sarcoidosis mm -hmm. which is also what del ronda hood has yeah um but yeah that actor died pretty young from complications from that but i really liked him but when he first meets 
William, he asks him, are you a faggot? <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> and and then they're in a gay bar. They're in a gay bar. And then he's like, well, I have a friend that's a little more sexually ambivalent, too. And, and then it's a mugwump. A mugwump. These creatures. Child, that thing. It, which is so great because the mugwumps are these creatures who have these. Ten, they're, these they're like uh, udders, like you would milk a cow. They're udders, but they're very phallic. And then they're. And they're on their head. And they're on their. Then they ooze apparently drugs so they're like an these, intoxicating fluid but that the different levels of intoxications you have there's one scene where they're tied up and people are there just sucking on them like like in an opium well den. that's a good segue to my next favorite character which is joan and her husband uh ian holm they have a maid oh yeah uh fidella Mon- played by monique Mc- Mercure, who's there. she had a really good screen presence mm-hmm. but we find out that fidella this housekeeper is really a front for dr bellway benway benway belmont um and that that's just like a skin suit mm-hmm. but when but when that's revealed i thought it looked really cool but prior to that they're in this like mugwump farm mm-hmm. where like you mentioned people are sucking the fluid out of these udders that was so gross was but so very good. effective mm-hmm. and then david uh i want to say david schwimmer roy scheider in the fidella costume reveals himself and i thought that looked really oh good. yeah when he rips the shirt open and like tears his breasts apart <laughs> that, yes then we find out that the market like in interzone for drugs is basically like they're processing like this black centipede meat yep oh you see so much of that it it's very really well good. done mm-hmm. it's gross it's it there's a sense of i i didn't know about this author until years after i read naked lunch but anna kavan's ice uh reminded me of that a lot and you know you know i think subconsciously i chose this film rather than dead ringers right because that's got the television series remake about to come out also i love that film but the original with jeremy irons but i think bo is afraid the new ari oster film put me in mind of because i haven't seen this since before i met you and and, and it's always been in my mind as a favorite of cronenberg's but i, I think bo is afraid and the, the this kind of journey this internal journey is what's really going on um we're told that the interzone boys, like it's made very clear what their function is. And we're told that they're hot and cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but something else I really liked about the story is the, like this idea of the typewriters, because Ian Holm also has a typewriter. He has two. He has two. One is like an Arabic, like only types in Arabic. And then the other one and they're and they're bugs and they talk. But I just thought that was such a, such an effective way. Well, because one is his type. Uh, Bill Bill Lee's typewriter at home starts eating the one that Ian Holm and yeah, take. yeah. Those are very effective, but I think it's also effective in demonstrating like this. You know, I mean, it's so literal, but it's not like this writer's delusions from being a drug addict. And yeah, uh, the only the only thing that didn't work for me, and it's really just a small thing, but it's the practical effects because everything else is looks fantastic. But then we get to Julian Sands mm-hmm. and we find out that he is not who he says he is. He's actually like a creature mm-hmm. and he wants to devour Kiki. Like he's lusting after Kiki mm-hmm. and he convinces uh, William to bring Kiki over. And then we get the scene where we see Julian Sands character in his like creature form. Mm-hmm. And he has like sucked the life out of Kiki. I'm like, it looks a little bit like something from the thing, John Carpenter's. Yeah, but the thing also has 
I think 90% of the special effects in the thing are great, but then sure. I, I think that in this film, that segment was bad enough that I feel like it should be cut because it just looks bad. <laughs> I mean, when we see it from behind, I think maybe you could have stopped there. Fine, yeah. yeah, they shouldn't have shown the faces because I think I would have said this had perfect effects. Sure. Aside from that. I didn't mind that as much as you did, but um, also the sex scene with Judy Davis and Peter Weller. Oh yes, where with, the cre- using the Algerian typewriter. Yes, and then there's a creature that jumps on top of them and starts humping on them. That looked really cool, mm-hmm. and that's when Fidella comes in and like chastises them. <laughs> and that creature is the typewriter. Yes, and not Algerian Arabic, but yeah. Um, but what would you give this movie? Um, well, I like it a lot more than you do, so uh, I. I maintain that this is a four and a half film for me. I love it. I, I do. I really love it. I think out of, I would give it three out of five. Sure. Because, fine. well, the other thing is like, I had to like educate, I don't know, some films. Yeah. I think that it's a much more enriching thing. If you are familiar with Burroughs yes. a little bit, at least, I don't think you have to read naked lunch at all. You know, the only thing that I, the only line I remember, cause Naked Lunch. We have just, two minutes left, by the way. It's just a bunch of images, but um, something about he f- saying he fucked his grandmother's skull through the eye hole until the brain atrophied. It's like shit like that. That that's why in the fifties it went through a censorship lawsuit because. But I mean, if you're like me and you know, like very basic about the director, the subject matter, like the book, the, the source material, and the subject, I felt like it did feel a little incomprehensible, and then I also feel like. William, the character, is not very dynamic. Peter Weller, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I kind of am sure. missing the darkness and the sadness because at its core, I guess I kept thinking like, if this is supposed to represent like a man in the fifties who is struggling with his sexuality and also with drug addiction, there's not a lot of sadness in this story. Sure, and it left me feeling kind of like. Oh, I'm just watching, but and you know, like that, it feels more visual than anything. That could be probably, as Cronenberg even said in the special, the extra features, is like as a straight, as a heterosexual directing this. I think that's maybe a little bit inevitable. Yes, and 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 I think that I, I really appreciated him saying that and being aware of it. Yeah, especially in 1991. Yes, like, so so I applaud the director and his efforts, but it did leave me wanting. Sure, I think that uh, if you want to read Burroughs, read Queer. As a, as a memoir, uh, Steve Buscemi was trying to make that for years. And I believe Luca Guadagnino now has the rights to make that. Hmm. Uh, well, we have like four or five videos dropping, uh, and including Carmen, Boa's Afraid, mm-hmm. The Covenant. Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Oh, and a film I really liked uh, with Shailene Woodley. Oh, to catch a killer. To catch a killer. Yeah, I liked that too. Yeah. And then we have a couple other things we were going to watch. So for all the people who say we don't ever like anything, I like to catch a killer. I like Bo's Afraid. Yeah, I did too. Uh, but we had, we got a couple of things to watch this week, uh, including that that will drop this week, including a, a, a documentary about Little Richard. Oh, I'm very excited for that. Uh, Do the, you have that screener? It's coming. Oh, it's coming. I would watch that. Uh, we also have Master Gardener. Oh yeah, I have to watch that. With, but that doesn't come out till mid mid May. But I have it. I have well, it. let's hope my health improves. But if I die, you know, you're not gonna die. It's it, been not this year. It's been fun. You have penance to pay still. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say? Uh, I will leave you with this: exterminate 
all rational thought. Ta-ta. Ha <laughs> ha